Welcome to GVN's Talking Comics interview. On today's show, we welcome talented writer Tom Pinchuk, writer for the new graphic novel Remember Andy Xenon? Here's your host, Martin Sexton. Welcome back to another edition of GVN's Talking Comics. I am your host, Martin, and today we have the privilege of talking to writer-creator Tom Pinchock. Tom has a new book called Remember Andy Xenon, along with artist Nick Cootsies, which is right in the middle of their Zoom campaign. And uh, so we're going to talk to him a bit about his career, the new book, uh, the Zoom campaign, how that's going, and whatever he's got coming in the future. So let's welcome Tom Pinchock to GVN's Talking Comics. How are you doing today, Tom? Good to be here. Hi, excellent. Okay, well, I appreciate you giving us some of your time. So uh, because uh, some of our audience may not be familiar with you, let's start at the beginning. Uh, when did you take an interest in writing and uh, who might have been some of the inspirations that kind of led you to think that maybe this might be something you want to do? Oh, geez. Um, I think I wanted to tell stories pretty much uh, all my life. Um, I don't know. Um, it's hard to remember really when that started taking shape. I was always the one like bashing my um, toys together and telling stories with them and, uh, you know, writing in a notebook, um, you know, during class of uh, um, just wherever my flights of fancy were taking me. Um, I think that, uh, I think it's specific to comics. Uh, there was a book that um, around when um, Kurt Busiek and uh, George Perez had a run on the Avengers at Marvel that they did a um, rough cut edition of, which had uh, George's pencils and also uh, Kurt's script. And that was my first time really grasping how, uh, what I enjoyed in comics, how they got made, uh, what the process was behind them. And it was really invaluable. And I suppose, um, I'm trying to do the math in my head at this point. I think that might've been like 98. So it's been a pretty good long haul um, at this point, but I was, Pretty much like since then, that was um, just really uh, my compulsion. Okay, so I mean, so what, what was your what was your first professional gig writing? Oh, um, well, uh, I did a book called uh, Hybrid Bastards for uh, Arkea Studio um, that's since been acquired by uh, Boom, and that was uh, kind of an Adult Swim style book. Um, more or less, like the very very short abbreviated version is is that uh, that led to um, writing for animation. So I worked on a show uh, called uh, Gormiti Nature Unleashed, which was an Italian um, action adventure series that uh, Man of Action was producing. And then from there, I was uh, brought on to Ben 10 for three seasons. And uh, a lot of my experience on that actually inspired the book. I say, actually, yeah, when, when I was reading on your background, I saw Ben 10 and I mentioned that to my grandson. He thought, oh, that's so cool because he loved Ben 10. Uh, uh, it's, okay. it's really iconic to a generation that was that was something that was interesting uh, from working on it was uh, right. it wasn't a character that I grew up with but then I, I met a lot of young adult fans and kids who was really um, central to, to. Well, say, well, and actually the thing about it and it's very you know kind of brings us to Andy Zenon is uh, my grandson was fascinated by the fact that it was a young person who got powers mm -hmm. 
because you know he still thinks that he one day might get powers by his, <laughs> some form of fashion. Someday, someday. Yeah, right, so he can always hope. Uh, okay, so speaking of uh, remember Andy Zenon, uh, let's talk about uh, that. And what was your inspiration for the book? I say because it touched upon a number of things actually that I think were kind of important and unique because you know we've seen you know teens get powers, but you don't usually see what happens if they suddenly don't have them anymore and how they how they react to that. So uh, what exactly uh, did you base the book on? Well, you know, as I mentioned, um, I'd run into, it was a very interesting experience working on that. And I, I've worked on other um, Kid Hero franchises like Max Steel um, that had gone through reboots. And so on, on, um, on both of them, the sort of the shelf life, so to speak, for a, a, an action figure show or any kind of like toy-based show is about three to five years. Um, because the thinking is, is that the, the target audience will grow out of it um, by then. Um, so usually what winds up happening is you either the series ends or it goes through a reboot or there's some sort of reinvention of it after the, that amount of time. Um, in Ben's case, that, that series had gone on for like 10 years and there, were, there was a, a generation that I encountered of, of young adults who had been 10 when the series started and then had been aging um, with each successive season that Ben had grown up to be a teenager and um, you know, was getting close to college age. And they really felt a sense of connection to it. And then there's, there's always that juncture where the studio has, to, or the network in this case, has to take stock of things and say, well, we're, we're making a kid's show here. The target audience is kids. And if the character is drifting too far away from that, we need to um, bring it back to where it was. So just like you're saying with your grandson, like there, there is a big part of the identification for the audience is that it's a kid having adventures. And if it's not close to the target audience's age, um, that kind of creates a problem. So they, uh, the reboot that I was involved with just hit, uh, brought things back to uh, the basics and you know, Ben was 10 again. And it was a similar thing with Max Steele as well. And what I ran into a fair often amount of time was that there, there was some frustration from fans who felt that they um, aged out. Like it was just kind of a really kind of, there was no denying at that point that they, they aged out of a character that they'd, um, even if they wanted to stick around. Um, so, uh, you know, and I, I thought about that for a while. It just, it really stuck with me because I, I, it, I reflected on experiences that I'd had with um, characters that had, I'd aged out from uh, one way or another, whether it was Ninja Turtles or say Power Rangers. And I uh, was more, had a more of a sense of sympathy then in that case. And it really got me thinking like, well, what would the uh, aging out feel like for a kid hero? So that was really like the genesis of it. And then as um, the idea really snowballed from there, I found a really effective metaphor for um, life's ups and downs and uh, second chances and also, uh, you know, mentors, um, you know, good and bad, I think was also a recurring theme in that as well. So it really just kind of, um, the more I explored it, the more compelling it got to me. And what's been really cool is that I've, uh, now the story's been getting out there, uh, people really um, relate to it from, of really a uh, wide variety of um, walks of life. Like I've seen, uh, I've, I've talked to some, like I had a friend who's a child actor and he felt that it was really speaking to him. I talked to someone who was just a high school athlete and it, uh, uh, it kind of made him think of his glory days. And then also some just even just remembering the, um, you know, coming of age of uh, you get to be 18 and you're going off into the world on your own. And maybe you don't feel as special as you used to feel right. <laughs> when, you were, when you were 10. And, and actually, you know, the, the whole mentorship thing actually I found fascinating, uh, mm -hmm. mainly because uh, most 
sometimes children, uh, and they, they may be right, they may be wrong, uh, will kind of sit blame, okay, things have gone wrong for me. And somehow or another, it must be your fault if it happened because it can't be mine. Right. It has to be your fault. And like I said, in some cases, that may be true, and sometimes it may not, not be. Uh, and in uh, Andy's case, maybe it's a little bit of both. I'm not, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, I, I found that whole thing very fascinating. Uh, and, and I would say, and it was kind of a unique approach to the, to the subject. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a concept that I've really thought out at all stages of my life because it went from being um, you know having uh, creative mentors as a, as a teenager and then having professors in college and then uh, I've also taught um, for uh, different programs about writing um, like for UCLA Extension, the Scriptwriters Network, or even at Comic Con or uh, WonderCon itself. And it's interesting when you start to be on the other end of that, you start to understand how there's this interesting communication going on between sort of like mentors and mentees of, well, what the expectations are exactly. And I've also seen, um, it's given me some clarity about, well, sometimes maybe you are expecting too much from somebody. And then on another angle, also you did get, there were certain cases of getting bad advice or having mentorship that wasn't really coming from the right place. So what I, um, was hoping for with the story was to kind of, uh, you know, it's not, it's not a, a, a significant theme in, in it um, uh, out of them, but there definitely is um, different examples of Andy running into uh, either good mentors or bad mentors or some that kind of uh, fit somewhere in between or becoming a mentor himself. Um, we also have this companion piece that's in the back. That's uh, a deeper exploration of that. That's a, it's, it's a, a faux magazine article called We Remember Andy Zenon that's uh, written by a journalist who's thinking that Andy might be dead um, for a period and is trying to investigate, well, what happened to him and um, looking at past adventures and interviewing um, other, uh, other adventurers who knew him then and with varying opinions about whether they liked him or didn't like him or where they think he is. And that also then explores um, there's like specifically one of, uh, you know, Andy's own mentor, you, you find out that he gave him a piece of, or, you know, he, he had a would-be mentor that he, they might have not, it's kind of like a fleeting <laughs> moment that he doesn't like heed his advice. And then you find out that the advice came from because he'd been a kid hero himself and that uh, he'd been drawn into adventuring because of his parents. And then um, it's sort of a fatal flaw in their plan for making a team, like a family team that's going to keep adventuring that because they don't, plan for something very important when something uh, bad happens to them then the seven kids who are also part of the family this, this guy's siblings they all are faced with this with a predicament that kind of winds up being a real test of character and some quit some um some keep at it and, and fail and then he's the only one who does succeed and it's sort of a meditation on maybe some of them weren't listening to the right lessons or they were taking the wrong lessons Right. Uh, well, also another thing that I found interesting, of course, is is part of the, you know, the gig that happens when he uh, no longer has the powers is, of course, people don't are st starting not to remember who he is. Yeah. And uh, and like the one scene where he's looks like he's uh, talking to this girl and he's looks like he's making great progress, but he couldn't help himself to try to re remind her who he was. I said, I think he would have been better off just letting it go because he was doing fine up until that point. I'm glad, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> I'm glad you picked up on that. Um, and, so, and it kind of reminds me, say, that would be me. I'd, say, I'd be making some progress and I'd do something stupid to, to ruin it. Uh, but uh, I did find that that interesting <laughs> and I say, and quite actually uh, relatable. That's good. That's great to hear because that was definitely a scene that um, I had 
thought of a lot of uh, ups and downs in my own life. And sometimes when you bomb with a girl that you like, and he's, you, know, you just take the wrong approach or um, also he has like a job after he uh, has to become a normal guy. And it's like so close and yet so far. And that was, I'd once worked, a, uh, I had a job at like Toys R Us and early in my animation career while I was um, dealing with um, uh, an animated show and the staff that I might, I wound up working for. And it was the weirdest, um, so close yet so far moment where I was selling merchandise based on the show that I would wind up working on. But it's like the, you'd always have that on the tip of your tongue wanting to tell, um, tell them like, well, so, you know, and then you realize like, look, they don't care. They don't have any point of reference. Um, they don't need to know. <laughs> yeah, totally understand. Uh, okay, so like I said, so you tapped uh, Artos Nikos Kutsis to illustrate it. Uh, now, he doesn't, I mean, he lives in a totally different country, correct? Uh, yeah, he so lives, he's in Greece, yeah. Yeah, so uh, so how did that collaboration work? And uh, were there any challenges in that uh, collaboration? His English is really good. Um, it's not, I think that he's, I, although I, I would sort of say that maybe he's less verbal uh, with English than he is over writing. But then again, I find a lot of artists aren't, aren't that way either. So they'd rather uh, <laughs> rather <laughs> let the writer do the talking. Um, it's been really copacetic. I, he's, I, I couldn't ask for a better collaborator working with him. He, he understood what we were going for or what I, you know, what I, what I want, you know, what I wanted to go for at the start and became really more of our story, of course, as it went along. Um, also, you know, when you're dealing with independent comics, a lot of times the writer winds up having to be the editor of the book as well. So there was a lot of, um, supervising him and the colorists. And what I really appreciated was that he definitely, um, shared my attention to detail. So when I think, especially with a, um, a project like this, where we did want to have a sense of, um, uh, narrative complexity to it, um, it's, it's, we wanted to make it accessible on one layer, but it's definitely something that. My hope is that with each uh, successive reread, um, whoever um, has the book in hand will find more intrigue each time they go back through it and or more details to notice. And, you know, going doing a notes pass on the yard and saying, well, I think we need to make this more consistent or we we had a chair here and it probably should still be here in, in relationship to the character or um, this was like the detail on um, a character's jacket that we want to keep consistent. Uh, he was totally game for all of that. Um, and it was something that I, I definitely appreciated. And it was also something that uh, the colorist, uh, Ava De La Cruz, we worked with was, was fantastic as well. And she shared that attention. And because I think especially with, a, with an idea like this, where we were trying to tell a lot of story in a short amount of space, um, we had, and we're jumping around in different eras. It was really crucial that each panel, uh, the audience absolutely understood what they were looking at and when. Um, so we, we put a lot of uh, group effort into designing the flashbacks. So if, if you notice that like, they really seem almost more like Polaroids, I mean, maybe not ex explicitly so, but you know, the panels have rounded edges at the corners, uh, right. rounded corners, and that there's the palette changes a bit and there's a bit different texture to it as well. And I thought, I found that was really crucial to just make sure that when someone's reading it, they know exactly they're following us very clearly. And that's always the challenge you have with flashbacks because uh, you know I've seen some that are Kind of difficult to realize you're in the middle of a flashback, uh, right? So, but uh, so uh, did the story. You know, with when once you were working with uh, him, did did the story change any at all during that time, or did you, you pretty much already have it set? So when uh, Nikos took it over, you know, was working on it, nothing really changed. 
Uh, there were a couple changes that went along the way. I think we initially wanted to make it about six pages shorter, which was a little overly ambitious. And I, we had a frank discussion when we were working on it, just that it wasn't going to be feasible to, it was going to feel cramped at that point. And that was, the, uh, and you know, some of the action scenes that we had in it weren't really going to have as much punch because they were, they weren't going to get as much space. And um so we had the discussion about uh, about lengthening the story as well. I mean, that is that actually is an, another reason why we did bring it to Zoop was, um, you know, I've I've done the rounds in TV and I've done the rounds in in uh, comics publishing, and it's 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 a little harder to fit just a one shot like this, like an oversized one shot, into most publishers' brackets. So, but we were really we really wanted it done this way. Um, I think also. Um, this was maybe earlier when, when I was in the outlining stage, but I think initially maybe had a little of a nastier ending um, that I I took a step back and I said that there is, um, you know, what's great about premises is that I've always said that they're sort of like the sum of their parts, um, meaning that, you know, you can have uh, all the same plot beats, but depending on the tone, it can really have a different feel to it. And this was something that it just felt more fitting that it would end on a more op optimistic note. Um, what I've kind of stressed to everybody is that the, the premise that we're sharing in the, the previews is really only about the first third of the story. And there are very significant twists and turns afterwards. And my hope is that anybody reading it is going to, uh, you know, relate maybe to the, the peaks and valleys of Andy's career, but also find out that, well, you know, second chances maybe aren't as far out of reach as you'd think. And, you know, don't count yourself out too early. I, I felt that was a better, message for the story than maybe the more um there was versions of it that kind of just ended on the more like vindictive or nasty note that um i think maybe could work in a different story but did, it didn't fit here um and then also like the companion piece that i mentioned that definitely grew in the telling too um once i started getting more artists involved and they were they really brought a lot of uh uh great inspiration to it um so i was uh you know I, I think it's fair. It's interesting that a lot of this stuff is really by degrees. I think it's it's pretty close to um, what I imagined when I got that initial inspiration. But there are um, some small but significant tweaks along the way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so now, when you were doing this, was this right in the middle of the pan a whole pandemic thing? Yes. Um, I mean, to to take another step back from it, um, I had sold the show to Cartoon Network, uh, an original series that had been de in development for about um, almost like two to three years. And um, it was just a lot of overlap of, you know, the pandemic happens and I'm on lockdown and um, the show ultimately became a casualty of the Warner Brothers merger. So right. there was kind of those you know, you're sort of like stuck in seclusion and to, to meditate on everything, <laughs> not just your <laughs> projects, but also your life. And um, I, I thought a lot about, well, what, what brought me into all this in the first place? Like what, what inspired me? And, you know, and I, I think after having been, um, I, I, you know, when you're working on a TV show and you're plant, they're plotting out like successive seasons as, as if they've already happened. And there, there's, a, there's a plan of how you're gonna sell it in Brazil uh, on TV and so on. And there's so many boards you have to go through. Um, I really just after getting through that had a, just a much greater desire to get back to basics and, and as a storyteller and just tell it directly to an audience, which is again, what Zoop has been really great for as we go straight to readers and fans. Um, you know, and I think maybe it just related to as well as just that it, it I, I'm sure it was probably influenced by, um, you know, being at home alone. <laughs> um, and just, you get, there's a lot of those, you know, 
there, there's a lot of those nights sort of staring at the ceiling like Andy does at, at points in his life when he's, you know, he's, he's lost his powers and he's like, what do I do next? But see, and the reason I, you know, I kind of brought that up because, you know, you're talking about, you know, making it more of an upbeat ending. Uh, truth be known, I would tend to think because of the whole pandemic thing, it might not have been such a bad idea anyway because we've been kind of suffering uh, enough as we've been going. Um, maybe uh, upbeat ending is kind of what we needed at that time. So uh, uh, I, th I think that kind of works out. Uh, now, we've been talking about Zoop, okay, because of course you're right in the middle of the, your Zoop campaign. Uh, so what made you decide to go, you know, because there's other uh, fun uh, crowdfunding so, services. Uh, what made you decide to go with Zoop, which actually has been uh, been quite successful so far in its short run? Well, I um, like I said, I, I, I wanted to do uh, crowdfunding for a long time. I mean, I've, I've almost been kind of mulling it over for probably 10 years, and I just never really... Um, uh, I don't know. I didn't, I, you know, you wanted to like, you put like a, your pinky toe in the water, but then not really go any further with that. And I think uh, again, like with the pandemic, I, I can straight up say that it was a, it, there was a lot of the questions like, if not now, then when, um, with a lot of projects. So I thought this is probably as good enough time to do it as any. Um, I did a lot of research into crowdfunding about what worked and what didn't. And, uh, you know, what, how many times there had been maybe been a successful project that then entered some pitfalls. Um, or creators biting off more than they could chew. Um, I had gotten connected with Camilla Zhang, who had been uh, head of comics outreach at Kickstarter, and we were talking for a while. Although, you know, the nature of any creative project, I think especially a comic, is that it takes a lot longer than you hope it would, <laughs> it would take, right. just because it, it, it takes time. Um, so she actually, in the space of our discussions, had moved on from Kickstarter, and then right. she'd, be, she'd been an independent consultant, and then she started um, working on consultancy for this new company, Zoop, and she said, would you want to hear about it? And at first, uh, my thought was, well, I've already done a lot of research and homework on, on Kickstarter. I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to start over again, but she made a very persuasive case, and then I also met with uh, Eric and Jordan there, and they, they, they added to that. Um, you know, basically what they were offering was uh, they uh, would do campaign management and also fulfillment um, and finding a printer and so on, which is all the real like logistical stuff that you don't see the importance of until you have to do it yourself as a creator. And it really starts to chip into time that you could be making another comic. And so that was, uh, it, it just seemed like really right, right time, right place. And I, I've really had a great experience with them so far. Uh, the thing that I think was really my personal test for them was to see if they understood the project because it was a little, um, you know, a, a bit outside the box uh, of an idea. And I think they totally understood what I was going for. So they, they, that's how I made my decision. They were the right people to be involved with. And it's been a great experience so far. Excellent. Okay, so when fans go to the Zoop website for your book, wh what, what can they find there? Well, um, we have a few editions of the book. Um, so there's the, uh, there's, uh, we had some fun with it too, but it's the cyber edition, which is the di uh, digital uh, copy. If you just want that for anybody who just prefers um, digital comics on their uh, tablet of choice or you know, device of choice. Uh, there's the super edition, which has a cover by Nikos. Um, and that's the, that's the book, you know, all 48 pages. We also have some really good uh, variant covers uh, by Freddie E. Williams uh, II and Brent Schoonover. Um, that he's done the mega edition, which is a variant cover. Um, and then we, there's a couple of like retailer incentives. Um, and then when we get to like the, the tier, oh, and I should mention as well that every, um, every uh, option for the book uh, will include, um, you can get a copy of the script 
uh, digital copy of the script. If you're curious, again, like with the Avengers rough cut, like I talked about, if you're curious about how we made it, then you can see right there. Um, you'll see how insanely detailed some of my scripts can be. Um, <laughs> and then um, and there's also the artist edition of the book, which is uh, Nikos's uh, line art before the colors. And then um, as far as like the bonus tiers, uh, Nikos is offering commissions um, as, as rewards. You can also buy original art. Um, so it's, it, and that's something where even though he worked digitally, what we're doing is a, a, a cert certificate program where if you get, um, if you wanna buy a copy of a page of the book, we'll only print it once with a certificate that's never gonna be printed again. So it's, it works the same as getting original art for collectors because we were getting requests from people who even though we didn't uh, produce this with pen and ink, um, they still wanted something that they could frame on their wall. So we're um, now we're giving something to them or offering something to them. Uh, I also, as I mentioned, I've, I've had experience as a teacher um, teaching writing. So I do offer a writing class. Um, that's I think is a good bargain in comparison to what I would normally charge uh, <laughs> uh, you know, at these other programs. Um, and um, there's also uh, Brent's covers available as well. So the same way that uh, Nikos is, um, is available and then um, yeah and I'll, I'll mention as well that with his commissions it's it's going to be any character you want all right you know within reason <laughs> all right well, that, well that's great okay well that's uh pretty much what I got for your time but uh before I let you go said uh you know I know you've been centered on this project but uh do you have any others uh, you got coming on the uh horizon that you want like to talk about uh, nothing I can talk about yet except with like you know teasing in a hopefully charming way but <laughs> um <laughs> No, I mean, Nikos and I have had a fantastic experience working together. So we want to, uh, we really want to keep working together. And we've already got a more uh, ambitious series in mind that would probably be about six issues. Or, or we, we haven't quite figured out how we're going to be doing the, um, uh, the breakout of it, I guess, like whether we were debating about maybe six issues or maybe uh, three oversized issues, um, because that just seemed a little more appealing. Um, because that's also how they do them in, in French, uh, in France for like the albums. Um, like, mm -hmm. you know, you might have like a 44 page, the 48 page album, like once a, once a year. And it allows you really to, cause I think that the aim with this is, is, you know, one of the benefits of going through, through Zoop is that we're not really trying to hit a monthly schedule that can feel a little arbitrary sometimes. Like we're really getting an opportunity and, and breadth and breathing room to take our time and make something that's, you're not going to forget about, um, after a month, um, it's hopefully going to be a, a, a more perennial um, experience. And uh, we'll see. I'm still closing the deal on it right now. But uh, one shots has been a format that I really enjoyed from from working on this as well. And so I'm talking about with another publisher about potentially doing uh, a few more one shots for them um, with and then Nikos with where we're talking about him being involved. Again, I always hate I, I, you know, it, it's always like a tough time with, um, you know, you want to be talking about uh, future projects, but it's tough to find that exact time. It's great to tease it. But uh, I think there's a very good chance to be seeing more comics from uh, Nikos and I sooner or later. All right. Uh, so if someone, uh, one of our fans would like to follow you, we're on social media, where, do, where would they need to go? Sure. Uh, well, I'm on uh, Twitter, which is uh, just my name. It's at Tom Pinchuk. So T-O-M-P-I-N-C-H-U-K. I don't really tweet that much. So I do have a, um, a newsletter that I started recently that's called the Chuck Chronicles, which is just like my name. It's, uh, you know, the C-H-U-K Chronicles. And that's really more of my place that I've been, I, I want to have as my, as my web presence. So I get into 
because I, I like kind of, I don't really like breaking things down into however many characters that Twitter sort of forces you to do it in, in, in yeah. that way. Um, I, I, I prefer, I, I think it's more meaningful to me and I think for my audience to have a, a longer, you know, get in, in greater depth with stuff. So we'll have those updates about my projects. There's some tips and tricks about my writing process, uh, you know, some reminisces about projects that I've worked on before or series. Um, I also have, I'll talk about some friends work, like the stuff of legend is the one I'll, I'll be talking about actually was the newest one. And I was really lucky because uh, the artist of that um, got to be um, one of the guest artists in, in the book in the, um, the companion piece of uh, uh, Charles Paul Wilson, the uh, third fantastic to work with. And that's really one of my favorite books in there. Um, and then we'll also have a fan mail uh, a portion as well. I, I think I just so much like, um, you know, I do like to interact with fans, but there was something more about the the kind of classic like letter column that I much preferred than just trying to do like some, you know, snappy retort on Twitter. Um, so there'll always be links to um, whatever I'm working on that I'll be posting on Twitter for sure. And, and more often, if I do put out a newsletter, um, you can, you'll be able to link back to it. Um, but that's the the best place to find out what what's next that uh, uh, Tom Pinchuk Central will be on that um, newsletter. All right. Very good. Well, I appreciate it, Tom. And uh, we will, of course, be uh, following your book and whatever else that you end up uh, putting out uh, very closely. And uh, hopefully that. and hopefully, we'll get to talk to you again real soon. I hope so, too. Thanks so much for having me. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to GVN's Talking Comics. Please come back again. Talking Comics is a production of Geek Vibes Nation.